As the, as the children are leaving, I also want to call attention to the fact that because of General Conference this week, uh, there will be no services here Wednesday night, okay? So no adult prayer meeting, no uh, youth group, and, and no worship team practice this coming Wednesday night. Well, this morning we continue our 11-part sermon series titled uh, Adventures with Abraham, and today is uh, sermon number six in that series. And uh, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 16, verse 16, the very last verse at the end of Genesis, just to kind of get a, a little bit of a running start this morning. Genesis 16, 16. It says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And we talked about that last week. And uh, so when, when Ishmael was born to Abraham and Hagar, the, the maidservant, he's 86 years old. Okay. When we go into chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 1, uh, 13 years, we, we go fast forward 13 years between the end of chapter uh, Genesis 16 and Genesis uh, 17, the beginning. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. So in the 17th chapter and in the 18th chapter, which we were going to get to in just a moment, Abraham is 99 years old. Okay, I think it's kind of important we keep that in mind. How old would that make Sarah? 89. She's 10 years younger than Abraham. So she's 89 as we study the story this morning. I'm not going to be preaching from Genesis chapter 17. However, there is one thing that I want to highlight and that uh, concerning the life of Abraham. And that is found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, Abraham gets a name change. Uh, it says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, it doesn't look like it's a, a real significant name as far as just adding a few letters. But he, Abram was exalted father, which is an interesting thing to be called when he had no children. Think about that. He was called Exalted Father. He had no children. Then, he is, he's given the name Abraham. And the name Abraham means father of many. Father of many. And uh, God just changed that name. Remember, he told Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashores. Father of many, father of many. I want to flip. I want you to go over to chapter seventeen, verse twenty-one and uh, twenty-two. Chapter seventeen, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. It says, "But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year." When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Okay, God tells him this time next year, Sarah is going to bear you a son. And then God 
goes up. It's interesting because at the beginning of Genesis chapter 18, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. By the way, for anyone to be traveling during the heat of the day would have been something that would have been very suspicious to Abraham. As he looked out, he was probably taking his siesta. And he looks out, in the heat of the day, there are three men that are traveling to him. We later find out one of the men is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All right? You mean the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in the Old Testament? I thought he was born in Luke chapter 2. and No, he was in the Old Testament. There are appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is one of those. And I think it's interesting that in chapter 17, almost every time you have a, a, a name given, it's God. God, God, God. Almost all the time in chapter 17. But when you get to chapter 18, it is now the Lord. And the name God doesn't appear anymore. God went up. Jesus came down and appeared to Abraham along with two angels. Chapter 19 of Genesis verse 1 talks about the two angels. So we have Jesus Christ and two angels. How many of you think something exciting is going to happen here? This is going to be quite a story. You got Abraham, Jesus, and two angels. Now, exactly when Abraham begins to figure out who these three men are, we don't know. At first, they were just three strangers. But the longer they were there, he began to realize there's something unusual. There's something unique. There's something different about these three. As we walk through these verses, there are a lot of speed words, words that denote quickness in Abraham's action. And I want to highlight those and bring those out as we look at these verses. Verse 2 toward the end says, When he saw them, he hurried. Abraham hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. How old was Abraham? We have a 99-year-old man hurrying during the heat of the day. Verse 3, he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. Now look at verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. 
get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran. Now, folks, there's a lot of, I've seen a lot in this world in 54 years of life. Not a whole lot shocks or surprises me anymore after 54 years. But there is something I have never seen. I have never in 54 years of life seen a 99-year-old man run. Have you? I mean, I'm in nursing homes. I, I have never seen a 99-year-old man run. He ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant, the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk in the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He stood near them under a tree. That is a good move, Abraham. Because this is long before the invention of sunscreen. He found that place of shade in the heat of the day. Smart move, Abraham. Smart move. You know, this whole thing about the appearance of angels. I've had people tell me, I don't believe in angels because I've never had any appear to me. I've heard people say that. The year was 1979. I was a sophomore at the Fort Wayne Bible College. It was near the end of my sophomore year. I was just overwhelmed and burnt out by everything I had going on. I was working full time. I was taking 17 hours of classes. I was doing Bible quizzing. I was leading the junior church program here at the church. I, I had all these things going on and I was at basically the end of my rope, emotionally and physically. And so I decided I had one paper left to write for a class and then I had decided that I was going to quit the Bible college and just work full-time doing something else with the rest of my life. I had gone to the Allen County Public Library downtown to do some research for this paper. And I stayed there till about, oh, probably about 9 o'clock at night. And as I was, at that time I was, uh, I was working at the Trinity Episcopal Church downtown as a janitor. And I lived in an apartment in the basement of the Trinity Episcopal Church. And I worked for two different groups. I worked for the church and I also worked for Canterbury School. Some of you didn't realize that Canterbury School started at uh, Trinity Episcopal Church. So I got two paychecks because I cleaned for both. I was coming back to my apartment after doing this research for this final paper I was going to turn in. That was going to be it for me. And all of a sudden, as, I, as I'm walking west with my back turned, I hear a voice. David, David. I turn around and I see this man following me. I did not know who he was. I had never seen him before in my life. And that West Central neighborhood is a, a neighborhood that's known for high homosexual activity. 
then and now. And I, I just turn around. I'm like, what in the world? I don't know this guy. He knows my name. He's calling me by name. I looked at him and I was bigger than he was. So I thought, all right. I don't, I think I can take him if I have to. <laughs> and so, so I, I turn around. He says, David, I would like to take you to the pickle restaurant and I want to buy you a Dr. Pepper and I want to talk to you. Now you have to understand a pickle restaurant was down on the landing and, uh, my favorite drink at that time was Dr. Pepper. And I'm sitting there thinking, here's a guy, I don't know who he is. He has called me by my name. He has told me what my favorite drink is. So we proceeded to walk to the pickle restaurant. We were there for a while, probably about a half an hour. And he began to say, I know that you're thinking about quitting the Fort Wayne Bible College. But he said, if you do that, David, he kept calling me David. Very few people call me David, but he kept calling me David. He said, if you do that, David, that is a terrible mistake you will be making. He says, God has great plans for your life. And he wants me to tell you that. People have asked me, what did he look like? You know, how many of you know Pat Ryan, the pastor at Northside Missionary Church? This angel looked like Pat Ryan. Same hair color, had a, <clears throat> a crop beard, looked just like Pat Ryan. Now, I have never told Pat Ryan that an angel looks like him or he looks like an angel. I think it might go to his head. But if you would have seen Pat Ryan, this angel looked just like him. We proceeded to just talk about my life. And then finally, he paid the bill. We got up, we were walking out the door, and I said, By the way, I never caught your name, and you never told me where you live. And he said, That's not important. That's not important. We walked out the door and I turned to walk west to go to my apartment. He turned and he walked east and I turned around and he was gone. I believe in angels, folks. I believed in them before that and I definitely believe in them now. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. And a lot of Bible commentators that talk about that Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 13, verse 2 verse, say that that is a reference back to Abraham. Here in Genesis chapter 18. That there was a time where he was entertaining these angels. He didn't even know. He didn't even know. The Bible talks about how Abraham ministered to these three men and he did it very speedily. And he, he just ministered to them. Well, what, kind, what kind of a meal would you serve the Lord if He came to your house? 
Ladies, what would you fix him? Would you be a little nervous? Having him as a guest at your table. Verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. The first thing I want you to recognize this morning, the first point is, I want you to notice the promise that we have in verse 10. The promise. And here it is. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. God had said the same thing in verse 21 of chapter 17. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. This was just a reaffirmation of what God had already told him. Just reminded him again. Next year, at this time, Sarah is going to have a son for you. Keep in mind, Abraham's 99 years old in this chapter. When that promise was first given to Abraham, he was 75 years old back in Genesis chapter 12. At this point in our story, they have waited 24 years for the birth of that son of promise. 24 years. It would be 25 years before he would be born. Waiting upon the Lord is not an easy thing to do. 25 years waiting for the birth of a child. For that promised son. Wow. The promise, what a powerful promise it is. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, probably at the tent flap, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old. The second thing, I don't want you to just notice a promise this morning. I want you to notice a problem. We have a major problem here. And it's given to us in verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. All right, we have a major problem here. Sarah is past the age of childbearing, and yet she's been told she's going to have a baby. We've been having kind of a baby boom around here. How many of you have been noticing that? The nursery is just growing by leaps and bounds. I... I'll be honest, I've never seen anything like this in 30 years of ministry. we got a baby boom going on around here. And when you think of Sarah being past the age of childbearing, I got to thinking. I've got to consult Guinness Book of World Records on this one. How old would the oldest... Mother to conceive naturally be. These things intrigue me. Well, the oldest mother to conceive naturally was a woman by the name of Dawn Brooke in the UK. It was August 20th, 1997. 
she gave birth to a son at the age of 59. The oldest mother to conceive naturally. How about the oldest mother to conceive with a little help? IVF, we might say. In vitro fertilization. It's a woman in India. Amkari Panwar. She had twins at the age of 70. And her husband was 77. Now, why does the Bible keep exploring and explaining the physical condition of Abraham and of Sarah? And it's done repeatedly. Listen to this. Genesis 11.30 says, Sarah was barren. Genesis 16.1, Sarah had borne Abraham no children. Genesis 18.11, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Genesis 18.12, Sarah says this about herself, I am a worn out woman. Genesis 18.13, Sarah was old. Romans 4.19, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Hebrews 11.11, Abraham, even though he was past age, Sarah herself was barren. Hebrews 11.12, Abraham was as good as dead physically. Why does the Bible explore and explain and spend so much time talking about their physical condition? These verses are in our Bible to remind us of the utter hopelessness of their situation. The Bible doesn't want us to miss it. It repeats it over and over. The the utter hopelessness of their situation. Verse 13 Through 15, we have what I'm calling the protest. The protest. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We're going to pick that up in just a moment. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. The protest from God. Why does God raise such an objection here to Sarah's laughing in unbelief? I believe it's because I don't think we understand how much our unbelief hurts the Lord. I I don't think we understand that. His very character is being called into question here. He's saying, I can do this. I promise I'm going to do this. And Sarah's basically saying, no, you can't. And when it comes to our unbelief, God takes that personally. 
And he sends out that protest, that instant rebuke and that rebuttal. And he raises that objection to where, no, Sarah, I'm not going to let that pass. Not going to let it pass. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And what is the answer that is expected there? What is the answer that's expected there? Louder, louder, louder. No! Have you settled that in your mind, really? In where you find yourself in your life, in your circumstances, in your situation, have you settled that answer to that question? Being no, really. I'm not talking about in a group of people on a Sunday morning when everybody's going to say no. I'm talking about at your house when you're there by yourself and the bills come and you wonder how you're going to pay them. I'm talking about when you go to see the doctor and he doesn't give you a good report. He gives you a bad report, a report you had not expected. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'm talking about when your children who have grown up in the church take off and they stray from walking the straight and narrow path. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I remember a few years ago, it was the Sunday before Christmas. At that time, Michael Mortensen was our worship leader. If that helps you go back a few years. It, it was the Sunday before Christmas and we, we were having the Christmas children's Christmas program here. So we always put together the Christmas treats for the kids. Make sacks of candy for them. And then we have boxes of apples and oranges that we give out to the adults. I had all of those loaded in the back seat of my car when I pulled up early on a Sunday morning about 6 o'clock when I, when I normally get here. And I pulled up and I reached into the back seat of my car to pull out those boxes. And somehow, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I pulled a muscle in my back. I don't know if I pinched a nerve by that twisting motion to pick something up, but immediately excruciating pain shot up my back. I walked into my office trying to collect myself because it hurt so bad, and I sat in my chair. That didn't work too good. That was the worst thing I could have done. If you've had back trouble, man, it's hard to sit down. So I, I quickly got back up from the chair, and I... But here's the problem that I had that day. At the end of that children's Christmas program, I was supposed to be doing a baptismal service. Had a number of people that wanted to be baptized. One in particular that I knew I, I couldn't do it. It was the Sunday that Zach Hosier was getting baptized. And if you remember Zach Hosier, Zach was a catcher for Indiana Tech on their baseball team. He was a big guy. He was all muscle. 
I'm standing in my office thinking, Lord, I reminded him of the Great Commission that he has told us to go and baptize people. And I said, Lord, I know you're in favor of what I want to do in just a little bit. But Lord, my back is killing me. There is no way. It is not possible for me to baptize anyone today. I can't do it, but I'm not going to cancel this service. So I'm trusting you, Lord, that you will heal me in your perfect time. I was hoping that would come immediately. But as I stood in my office, and we only had the one service that day, so we didn't have Sunday school. And as I stood in my office, I came in for that 1030 service, and I had to climb these steps to give the announcements. And as I climbed these steps, I couldn't even stand up straight. I hurt so bad. Something was out of whack. I felt like I was out of, out of alignment. And I came up the steps, and I went over gave my announcements, and then labored going back to my seat where I sat down on that hard pew right there. Sat through the children's Christmas program. The pain was still excruciating. It was time, we sang the hymn, and it was time for the baptismal candidates to walk out and get ready to be baptized, put their gowns on. And I had to go out that door and change my clothes I'll never forget as I got in that restroom back there and I tried to take my socks off. And the pain was just excruciating. That was just trying to take my socks off, that bending over to do that. And it's like, Lord, I'm going to keep on trusting you. Your timing is perfect. You want these people to be baptized. This is your will for them to be baptized. I came out after dressing it, and I, I came out, and I, I got to the base of the steps here at the baptistry. And I was just getting ready to take my first step with the pain still excruciating my back. I went to take that first step, and all of a sudden the pain disappeared. It was totally gone. And I proceeded to baptize everyone. Never had any back pain that day. No problems at all. And I've looked back to that day many times. And I've thought that through. Lord, I trust you. Your timing is perfect. You're going to come through when I need you most. And he did. Is anything too hard? For the Lord. Anything. We talk about degrees of difficulty. (laughs) We talk about degrees of difficulty, you know, in the Olympics, different degrees of difficulty for the divers, different degrees of difficulty for the gymnastics competition. We probably could debate this morning 
the degrees of difficulty as to the work that was done yesterday and who had the hardest job and who worked the hardest. We could probably debate that this morning. We get into degrees of difficulty because we're human. But when it comes to degrees of difficulty, that does not apply to our God. I said, is anything too hard for the Lord this morning? Anything. My favorite book other than the Bible, and, I, and I'm going to keep on mentioning this book till every one of you in this sanctuary has a copy of it. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozier. He says this, omnipotence, the fact that God is all-powerful, is not a name given to the sum of all power, but an attribute of a personal God whom we Christians believe to be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and of all who believe on Him to life eternal. The worshiping man finds this knowledge a source of wonderful strength for his inner life. His faith rises to take the great leap upward into the fellowship of Him who can do whatever He wills to do, for whom nothing is hard. Did you catch that? For whom nothing is hard or difficult because He possesses power absolute. Since He has at His command all the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside of himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Leading up to, to uh, Shift National Conference, our general conference. For 21 days leading up to that conference, they've been sending out, uh, they've been asking people to pray, 21 days of prayer for general conference. And each day, they have been sending us a different devotional concerning prayer that we would read and then we would pray for a conference. It was Thursday, day 18. Dr. Bill Hostler, president of the Missionary Church, wrote a devotional on prayer that really spoke to me. Do you like things that just blow your mind? that are so far out there, they're so immense and majestic to where our finite minds, they can't even grasp them. He wrote one such devotional. And it goes like this. The closest star to planet Earth is 4.2 light years away. To get there in a spacecraft at 20,000 miles per hour would require 152,000 years of travel. And to drive it at 70 miles per hour would require 42 million years. That's to get to the nearest star, folks. 
That's our closest star. What about the ones that are billions of light years out there? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want to read in closing this morning two verses from Jeremiah chapter 32. We've just kind of talked about the stars and the power of God Himself. No degrees of difficulty. Jeremiah in chapter 32 verse 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then in verse 27, he says this, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? You know, being at your pastor, some of you confide things in me. And uh, I try not to betray confidence, try to keep them confidential. But some of you are going through some real difficult times. And you've shared a lot of stuff with me. And I take those things to prayer and I, I take those things very seriously. I, I want you to know if you share something with me, I'll take it to prayer. But I wonder this morning... This event we're talking about this morning was 4,000 years ago. Can we bring it a little closer to home? What does God want to say to you and me through Genesis chapter 18? For some of you, the situations that you are dealing with right now that are very, very difficult, you might even say... I, I think these situations are borderline impossible. Dave, I'm going through a situation that to me is every bit as impossible as Abraham being 100 years old and Sarah being 90 years old and giving birth to a baby. It's that tough. For me to have faith to believe. I don't want my faith to falter. But I've been in the midst of this problem for so long and there doesn't seem to be a solution in sight. Let me say this, friends. Wait on the Lord. I know it's hard. Wait on the Lord. And in His perfect timing and in His perfect will, you will see your impossible problem be solved. I assure you of that. I assure you of that. Why? He's the same God today that He was 4,000 years ago to Abraham and Sarah. He hasn't changed. I encourage you with those words today, is anything too hard for the Lord? Somebody say that with me this morning. Is anything 
too hard for the Lord. We're going to ask you to stand as the worship team comes now to close our service. Great old hymn of the church. I think you're going to still, you're going to use God will take care of you, right? Or do they change it? Every once in a while we change them around here. Okay. God will take care of you.